Verse number three says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who were kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I saw a church sign uh, one time that uh, said, we love hurting people. And um, they meant we love to show love to hurting people, but it reads like that they were uh, just a, m- a mean church, that they loved to hurt people. Uh, so I guess it depends on the way you look at it, uh, the perspective that you see. I saw another sign uh, talking about how important commas were. It said one sign said, no more coffee. And the other one had a comment said, no, comma, more coffee. So, uh, again, it's just the perspective, the way that you look at things. Um, one comedian said that some people see the glass half full, others see it half empty. He said, I see a glass that's twice as big as it needs to be. Um, so, uh, again, uh, perspective. And that, some of those things are funny just because it's the, the different way that you, you can look at it. And I bring that up because this book... But First Peter is written to scattered strangers, as you see there in the, the first two verses. It is written to people who were persecuted, people who were suffering. And if you just go through the book and just scan through it, you'll, you'll find that it goes from this introductory um, section, and then it starts talking about living under a wicked government. So he's writing to people who are living under a hostile government. It's hostile to Christianity, the Roman government. Then he starts talking about servants, serving wicked masters, and how they ought to live uh, in that regard. Then he talks to to wives who uh, lived with husbands who didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he talks about living our lives among evildoers who will lie about you and slander you and revile you and persecute you all because you love the Lord Jesus Christ. You get to the end of the book, the last chapter, Peter tells us that we are even hunted by our adversary, the devil, who's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Peter does not deny any of these things. But what he wants us to do is to have some perspective about this life, looking at things the right way. Because it is very easy to look at things the wrong way and, and focus too much on the wrong thing, and then uh, become overwhelmed and, and despairing. So Peter is writing to them to have a, the right perspective. He doesn't say that Jesus will cure all of our problems. That's not going to happen. He doesn't say that Jesus will save us from all of our trials. That's not going to happen. He doesn't say that Jesus will deliver us from all of our sicknesses or that we will have our, our, our best life. In fact, this whole book is written to people who are day by day 
suffering in trials and having a hard time through no fault of their own. They're not being punished for their sins. In fact, he tells them, make sure you're not being punished for your sins as an evildoer. But he says that these trials will come. But what he does do is give us some perspective and have us to stop for a moment and to, to, look at the, to look at life through the lens of the scriptures and to see that Jesus Christ has won the victory, that Jesus Christ has saved us from our sins and given us everlasting life. In other words, all of our greatest problems have already been taken care of. Not all of our problems, not all of our trials, but all of our greatest problems have already been taken care of. What would be our greatest problem? Well, the problem of death would be one great problem. That has been taken care of in the Lord Jesus Christ. The problem of our sin, that we, stand, that we have broken God's law and, and worthy of damnation. In Christ Jesus, that problem has been taken care of. And so, what Peter does is with a pastor's heart towards these people, he, he disciples the people of God. He disciples us. And with wisdom and the experience of a, of a man who's walked his whole life following the Lord Jesus Christ, or his whole adult life, I guess, following the Lord Jesus Christ, who's experienced great mountaintop experiences, literally, as he's there on the mountaintop with, uh, uh, when Christ was transfigured before his eyes and down to the lowest um, points of, of failure and humiliation. He, he has walked the Christian life. He has great experience in the Christian life, and he writes with that experience, and he writes with that knowledge of an apostle, the knowledge of one who has followed the Lord for a great many years, one who has uh, great wisdom as a pastor and as a, uh, as a preacher, as an apostle. And with much grace, he instructs us how to live in this life, to, to put things in their right perspective. He says in chapter 5 and verse 12, that I've written briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. He is exhorting us. He's testifying. He's telling us, I know this to be true. This is the word of God. And I'm exhorting you. I'm testifying that this is the true grace of God. So how do we go about living in a fallen, sin-cursed world is one of the themes of 1 Peter. And the overarching theme is Christ has won the victory. That, that Christ has solved our greatest problem. He has answered our, our greatest need and that he has saved us from our sins. And so Peter begins, after that introduction, he begins in verse number 3 to, uh, to tell us of the blessings that we have in this life. So that is one way that we can put things in perspective. Now I wouldn't, it, what he's not doing is just telling us, well, stop being babies, that your life's not that hard, um, and just think about what you have. You know, it, that's not the, the kind of attitude that he's, that he's talking about here. Um, because he tells us later on at the end of the book that God cares for us, that God loves us. God is not indifferent to our problems. God loves his people, and he cares for his people. But what Peter is telling us here in this epistle 
is to put things into perspective of what God has done for us, what we have in Jesus Christ, uh, what our trials in this life are in, in the grand scheme of things, and how it all works out. Whenever you're a teenager, or maybe when you're in high school, it seems like you know, you're just never going get, to get life started. You just can't wait to get life started. It seems like it's going to take forever and ever and ever to, to get out of school, and school is never going to be over. Well, you get a couple decades past that, and you just see how fast time goes. And, and you can see what just a little sliver of time your school years are compared to the rest of your life if you live a, a good long life. So from the, we're looking at things from the perspective of eternity. And judging today's trials and today's even severe trials, we're talking in this book, people being persecuted, being, being um, in prison and so forth. But Peter says, think about these things in, in the perspective of what God has done for you. And so he begins it, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed. Or bless God. And so he doesn't say bless God for everything, but that's what we're doing here. We're, we're praising God for a great uh, many blessings that we have in, him, in Christ. So in Christ we have um, the blessings of the merciful God. Next he, he says we have the blessings of so bless God for the new birth. He's begotten us again. Bless God for our living hope, a lively hope by the resurrection. So bless God for um, the resurrection. Bless God for our inheritance in verse number four. Bless God for the security we have in our salvation. And bless God that this is all ready for us. It's been accomplished. So those are the things that we're going to look at tonight as we consider uh, the, the blessings of God in Christ Jesus. So, again, we look at the trials in our life in perspective of what God has done for us in, in Christ, and we can bless God for what He does for us, even in, even in hardship. Blessed be the God. Bless God. The Greek word, where we get that word, bless, is actually the same word we get our word eulogy, which means to speak well of. So when somebody gives a eulogy at a funeral, they, they're supposed to speak well uh, of that person. Sometimes they speak well. They might not speak truthfully, but they, they speak well. You might have been at funerals like I have and wonder if you're in the right funeral home because the, the guy that they're eulogizing was not the, the guy that you knew in person. Um, this person was some kind of saint, never did anything wrong, uh, but the guy that you knew in real life wasn't such a, such, a, such a man. Well, that's what the word eulogy means. It means to speak well of somebody. To bless God is to praise him, to lift up his name, to speak well of the Lord. So when God blesses men, so when we talk about the Lord has blessed me, he gives us blessings. He bestows these blessings upon us. Whenever men bless God, they declare that he is excellent in and of himself. So if we say, bless God, we are declaring that he is excellent. We are declaring his great name. We are lifting him up for 
the blessedness that is in himself. So when God blesses us, he gives us blessing. When we bless God, such in this uh, passage, blessed be the God, we, we speak well of him. We lift up his name. We praise him. And that's what we're doing tonight. We're, we're praising God for what he's done for us. He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be lifted up. It's an easy thing to bless God. It's an easy, easy thing for a child of God to praise him. The song, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One, that's, that's a song that you can think about and you can, you can really begin to bless God for just the things he does for us in this life. All the many ways that God blesses us in this life. I would certainly rather live in 2022. I'd rather have um, a medical problem in 2022 than 1822, that's for sure. I'd rather, I'd rather um, have a serious problem and go to the emergency room now than, a, than go to the hospital in the, the 1500s or a doctor back then. I read a biography of uh, J.C. Ryle. He was a Church of England pastor. And, and whenever he became pastor, he, he wrote about all the things he did, and he spent half the time being the doctor of the people. And, he had all these potions and stuff that he was giving them for snake bites and, and all this kind of stuff. He didn't have any more medical training than anybody else, but he was a pastor and he had uh, time on his hands to go, go visit him. And that's what he did. I'm, I'm sure, I know you all think highly of me, but I wouldn't want you guys to come in if you had a medical problem. I, go, go, to the, go to the doctor, right? Go, go so that somebody knows what they're doing. Well, that's just a blessing of God. He, he is kind to us. But these are small things in comparison uh, to the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing. Blessed be God. He is our Father. Blessed be the God that we can call Father. We have a loving Father who cares for us. Bless God that we can call Him Father. That we know Him as Father. That the Spirit indwells us and and testifies in our heart and we cry out Abba Father we have a powerful Father we have a Father that can do all things I know we here dads in here tonight would love to be able to do uh, more for your children you'd love to be able to do more and to help and, and to provide ways that you're just not able to now we have a, a, a powerful Father that can do whatsoever He pleases. And so, because He loves us, and because He can do whatsoever He pleases, we can know that our good and holy Father has us in our current situation by His good will, and that there is a good purpose for it, whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not. We have a loving, powerful, caring Father who, know, who knows the number of hairs on our head and, and sent his only begotten son to die for us and would certainly not leave the lesser things undone. Blessed be our, our Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that word. Our Lord Jesus Christ. 
I am in Him and, and He is in me. I am united to Christ. And we can say tonight that He is our Lord Jesus Christ. Not just the Lord Jesus Christ, but our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about what that means to, to be united to Christ. He is ours. And God allows us to, to talk in those terms that He is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and my Savior and my King and my Father. And I am united to Him and He is in me. And, and we have these blessings because we are in Christ. Bless God that, that we can call Him our Lord. Our Savior. What Jesus, that's what Jesus means. Our Savior, our Messiah, our, our, our substitute, our sacrifice. We belong to Him. We are purchased with a great price. But He is our Lord. And we can go to our Father and our Lord and, and receive these abundant blessings in Him. Blessed be the merciful Father which according to his abundant mercy, it says, abundant or overflowing with mercy. Bless God that he is merciful because I need mercy. Bernard said great sins and great miseries need great mercy. And many sins and many miseries need many mercies. So blessed be God that he has abundant mercy. Mercy isn't giving us what we deserve. It's not giving us what we deserve. It is giving us, showing us a kindness that we don't deserve. There's many people that uh, don't believe that they're much of a sinner, and so they don't really see the need for great mercy. But I have committed great sins, and I have a great many needs. And I am thankful to God that He has abundant mercy. He is a merciful God. And so because God is our Father and Christ is ours and because God is merciful and abundantly so, He gives us what we need and not what we deserve. And what we need, you and I, is spiritual life. So yes, we live in a world that is full of sin. It's a cursed world. It's not, it's not the way that it should be. It's not the way it ought to be. You know, just in the prayer list, there are many little babies who are sick and hurting, serious health problems. That's the, res the result of living in a world that's cursed. When Adam sinned, as our federal head, he brought um, sin and depravity and the curse of death upon all of his descendants. And that, that is the curse of sin. We live in a sin-cursed world, so what we need is mercy. And we're born into this world, and we sin according to our nature. And so it's not that we uh, fight against it, we we go right along with the flow. 
We sin because we're, we're sinners and we, we break God's law and, and, and we go along with what seems natural to us and what seems natural to us is, is usually to do the wrong thing. So what we need is not to be reformed. What we need or we don't need is just a, a little helping hand. We need saved. We need God's mercy. We need what Jesus says to be born again. Nicodemus was a pretty good guy. He was a religious man. He was a Bible teacher. He was a teacher of the, of the Bible. He knew a lot about the Bible. And Jesus said, what you don't need is reformation. You don't need to, to, to change your life and just start trying harder. What you need to see the kingdom of God is to be born again. You need life. So when Adam sinned, we all died in sin, as Ephesians 2 uh, tells us. We're guilty in Adam. We're far from God. We're alienated with no hope in this world, going along in the ways uh, of the devil, going along in the course of this world. But God quickens. God gives life. God comes and rescues us. So it says in our text, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again unto a lively hope. He has given us life. He has reconciled us. He has redeemed us. He's given us life. We're no longer flowing according to the course of this world. He has, by his abundant mercy, given us a heart of flesh. He has given us life that we can love God. He's changed our affections. He has given us faith. By his grace, he has drawn us to him. And now we have life in Christ. So bless God for the new birth where he has begotten us again to a, a, a new and new life. With in a vital union with him. So we can bless God in our trials because God is our Father. We can bless God in our trials because as bad as things could ever be. We have everlasting life. He has begotten us again, and we are no longer under the, the condemnation of the law. We are no longer under the bondage of sin. We are no longer under the, the deception of the devil. But we have been born again. He has given us life, and life eternal, in our living Savior. And that's the next thing that we see here. He has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Life is what he's given us. Notice that in verse number 3 at the end. Begotten us, so that's being born. He's begotten us again to a lively hope, a living hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Life in Christ. He has given us life and he's given us living hope by the living Christ. So bless God for our living hope. We don't have a dead faith and a dead Savior. There are many religions that have a dead faith and a dead Savior, a dead Messiah, a dead uh, leader that, you know, they, they can't do anything. Other people live in the past. They have hope in long-gone forgotten heroes. 
you have some people that, you know, still, they live in the 80s, and they talk about, uh, they, they want uh, Ronald Reagan to come back from the dead and, and be president. Well, that's not going to happen. He, he's long gone. So some people live even farther back, and they want uh, Karl Marx to come and, and to leave the world. Well, that's not going to happen either. He's also long gone. People look to men in the past and have their hopes in the views that, that, uh, of a bygone era, but it's a dead hope because their heroes and these leaders are gone. There's nothing that dead men can do for us. As great as they were, or maybe in some instances as bad as they were, uh, but, but uh, as much power as they had, as much influence as they had, dead men can't do anything for us. When the wicked dies, their hope dies with them. Leighton said that the world dares no more than this. While I breathe, I hope. And you've heard that before. As long, I've, I, as, long as I got a breath, I've got hope. As long as I, as long as my heart still beats, I'm not going to give up. I've, I've got hope. As long as there's uh, a chance, I've got hope. But God's people can say, while I breathe my last, I hope. So, so without Christ, you can say, as long as I breathe, I've got hope. But then, when you stop breathing, you've got no more hope. We, can, we have hope even in our last breath. Because our hope is not a dead hope, or it's not a hope so, but it is um, a faith, an assurance, in the living Christ. We have a living hope because we have a living Savior. My hope is in a living person. Yes, Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. He rose from the grave. After three days and three nights, Jesus came out of that grave. He is alive, bodily, at the right hand of the Father. His body rose out of the grave and his body ascended up into heaven and his body now sits at the right hand of the Father. He is living. He is alive. And because he rose from the dead, I have a living hope. Bless God for our living hope. My hope is in a living person. My mediator is alive. My high priest is alive. And my hope is alive because my Lord is alive. I can't, I can't uh, pray to Abraham Lincoln and ask Abraham Lincoln to come and help me. That would be silly, wouldn't it? No, I can't pray to uh, Winston Churchill and ask Winston Churchill to come and help me. I can go to the Lord Jesus Christ, my mediator, my living Savior, who rose from the dead for my justification. And because he lives, I live. And because he has risen from the dead, I will rise from the dead. And so I have a living hope because it's rooted in something that's already done. 
Jesus already has risen from the dead. That's a historical fact. You can't change the past. You can't change what has happened. It's a historical fact that Jesus rose from the dead. You have the testimony of the, the gospel writers. You have the testimony of the Apostle Paul. You have the testimony of the 500 witnesses that saw him at one time. Um, you have the testimony of, of all the other disciples that saw him. He rose from the dead. You have the testimony of the Romans. You have the testimony of the high priest who, who tried to cover it up. Jesus rose from the dead. That is a historical fact. And so I have a living hope that's grounded on an accomplished fact. I don't have a hope that is yet to be fulfilled. I have a hope in a living Savior who has already done it. The work has already been accomplished. That's a historical fact. He rose from the dead. It's already done. It's over with. And so he, he sits now at the right hand of the Father, finishing the work, alive. So my hope is in Jesus Christ and what has already happened. Now, if your faith hangs in the balance of what you can do and in your power and your strength, well, then you, you don't have, you have a hope so, not a, uh, an assurance, a confidence, a faith. The, the hope that we have here is knowing that Jesus Christ died for our sins and trusting in that promise and that it is a, a living assurance, a living faith in what Christ has already done. So bless God in our trials because you have a living hope. In a hard, sin-cursed world, we have a hope in something that has already been accomplished on our behalf that has been settled in heaven. And nothing can change that. Your financial status cannot change what Christ has done for you. Your strength, your health, cannot change what Christ has already accomplished for you. What happens in this country, what happens in this government, cannot change what Christ has already accomplished for you. That It's, it's a done deal. If you were in Christ, you have a living hope in the Savior that rose from the dead. So because God is our Father and Christ is ours, and because God is merciful, he gave us life and eternal life. And since Christ rose from the dead, so will we. Until, and, and we will then inherit, receive our inheritance as sons. So we have a he gave us life, a living hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away. So we bless God for our inheritance. So we're adopted into the family of God. Romans 8 tells us this. We are in the family. So if God is our Father, then we are sons. And you know, the, the, the sons, that's an important part of that um, when you just think about the inheritance. Think about the times when this was written. Um, you wanted to be the firstborn son. Um, that way you would get the inheritance. Well, we have the adoption of sons. We have the adoption that we receive the inheritance. Uh, we don't have an adoption where we're just lucky to be um, part of the group and uh, you go set 
in the back. Or, um, you know, some people are going to be um, better sons than others in glory. We are, we've been adopted into the family. We've been adopted, and, and by his mercy, we are sons. By his mercy, we are his children. And by his mercy, we'll receive our inheritance. By grace. Now, I don't know all the things that we'll have in our inheritance, and, and I look forward to finding it out. And the Bible does speak a little bit about it, but the fact that we, we have it, is, it just blows my mind, the fact that we have it. An inheritance waiting for us. Adopted into the family of God. Given an inheritance by our Father out of His abundant mercy. I was joking with Jacob and Ethan the other day, and I told him, I said, whenever I die, I'm going to, Jacob, I'm going to leave you all my medical bills. And uh, Ethan, you can have the mortgage <laughs> on the house. And I said, but, you know, that, that's what I'm going to leave to you guys. Well, that wouldn't be much of an inheritance, really, but um, we have a good inheritance. We have a blessed inheritance. An incorruptible inheritance. One that won't decay or get corrupted. It won't rot or deteriorate. Um, my grandmother, somebody in her family worked in uh, movies, and they uh, got some material from the costumes that were in the movie Gone with the Wind. And they took some of these scraps of material from the dresses and so forth, and they took these scraps of material and they made a quilt. And so she's got a quilt with, uh, with um, you know, movie costumes from, from Gone with the Wind. That, that's pretty impressive. And, and she has uh, bequeathed that to my, to my aunt, uh, her only daughter. So that's part of her inheritance. That's a one-of-a-kind thing. That's not something you just go to, to Walmart and find. That's a one-of-a-kind, priceless piece of, little, of American history. Well, it's made of cloth. And I don't know how long it would last, but sooner or later, it's going to deteriorate. It's going to fall apart. If it's not protected, if it's not taken care of, it, it might fall away. My great-grandpa had um, a violin that was um, was uh, given, to, is passed down through through his family. It started out as a violin, and it ended up, once it got to Kentucky, it became a fiddle. And so it's it's a fiddle right now, but but it's a, a very rare violin, extremely rare. And it was made by one of the great violin makers in the history of the world that there was a particular time when the wood in this particular part of the world was was just right for making violins because of the the age of the wood and the type of wood and and how much water or how much rain they had gotten during that time is just the perfect time never in history had there will there probably ever be another time where the wood will be just that precise and you have this this gifted violin maker that, that could make these violins. And so this is a couple hundred year old violin. And it has to stay in that family. And so it gets passed on. And, and my great-great-grandpa, he could play the fiddle. And then my great-grandpa could play the fiddle. And when it gets passed on to the next generation, somebody can't play it. And so he, he has it there, but he doesn't play it. 
And, you know, sooner or later, if it's not taken care of, if it's not maintained, you know what's going to happen? That priceless uh, violin was going to rot away. It's going to just fall apart. Why? Because it's corruptible. These things in this life are corruptible. They, they don't last forever. Even the most priceless things in this world, made by the great masters themselves, are not indestructible. They're incorruptible. Or they're corruptible. But our inheritance, the Bible says, is incorruptible. It won't decay. It won't get corrupted. It won't deteriorate. When you get to heaven, when you receive your inheritance, you won't corrupt it because you'll be made like him. An eternal, everlasting inheritance. And it's also undefiled. Unspoiled. It's perfect and pure. A perfect, unsoiled, pure inheritance that fadeth not away. It's secure. I saw um, there's this uh, statue. There's a couple, I think it was over a thousand years old, somewhere in the Middle East. And when the Taliban had taken over that part of the world, um, in that community, they just went through and started destroying things that had been there. And, and this thousand-year-old uh, statue was defiled. They went through and they just shot holes in it and, and just destroyed it for no other reason than just to destroy the thing. That, that they had come in, they had conquered, they were going to show their strength by destroying these, these old uh, statues. Well, our inheritance is secure. No thief was going to break in and steal it. No one is going to break in and take it away. It is secure and reserved. It's not going to lose its luster. I read um, that during a, um, a hostage situation in, in one of our uh, conflicts. There was the enemies had uh, taken some hostages in inside this building, and they had surrounded them. And so the army took some American pop music and just turned it up, and blast started blasting it. And they were playing one song in particular, and they played it on a loop over and over and over, and it. It eventually wore them out. They couldn't take it anymore. They heard that song over. They heard it hour after hour after hour. You can take the most be beautiful piece of music and put it on a loop, and after a while, it would probably drive you crazy if you never stopped listening to it. Um, my sister was a gymnast, and whenever she first started, she'd go to these, gymnast, uh, these competitions, and all the little girls had the same music that they performed their uh gymnastic routines on and so you would go these things and there's hundreds of girls there and it lasted from you know, 10 hours we were there all day long but I heard that same song over and over and over and over because the whole time we were there one of those girls was, was doing her routine and so every two minutes they'd start that song over and uh, for a long time uh, me and my brothers could just hum that tune and somebody just roll their eyes because it, it just stuck in their head. Well, it, uh, 
even even something beautiful, if you see it, over, you know, it, it can lose its beauty, and, and familiarity would only decrease our joy, but not with our inheritance, not with Christ, because our inheritance, the more that we know about it, the more that we're familiar with Christ, the greater it becomes, and so our joy in heaven that awaits for us will only increase in time, and it will get greater. Every person in heaven will experience the great joy as much as we possibly can. So bless God for this inheritance that we have that is reserved in heaven for us. It is protected there. It is reserved. It's waiting there. It's already there. For you. Who? The born again who are kept by the power of God. So not only is our inheritance reserved for us, but we, who are born again by God, are kept, or we are guarded by the God who born us again. So our blessed God, our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his abundant mercy, who gave us life and gave us everlasting life, gives us a living hope by the risen Christ. And he says here is an inheritance that will never fade away, that is reserved in heaven. It's, it's there waiting for you. It's undefiled for you who I gave life to and who I will keep, the Lord says. I will guard you by my power through faith unto salvation. You are kept by God's power. Not by your power. Not by your strength. By God's strength. By God's power. He guards you. If you are in Christ, He guards you. Oh, no. you know, the, the government. The government's going to get us. Well, how are they going to get us if we are kept by the power of God? Satan's going to get us. Well, how is he going to get us if we are kept by the power of God? Well, I'm going to fall away and I, I, I'm not going to be able to to, to hang on. Well, how are you going to do that if you are kept by the power of God? We are secure in Christ. So bless God for our security that he does the borning again. He does the saving. He does the justifying. And he does the keeping. You might say, well, it says, in through faith. He keeps us through faith. Well, that's the subordinate part of this. Because what do we have faith in? The Bible also says that he gives us the faith as a gift of God, but, but what do we have faith in? It's not faith in what, but faith in whom? Faith in Christ, the one who rose from the dead. So faith is knowing what Christ has done for us. He died for our sins. It is agreeing with that, saying he died for my sins, and then trusting that, that he will do what he said he would do. Save us. Give us life. Keep us. So it's not in what we are doing by our works of faith. It is resting in what Christ has already accomplished on the cross. It's resting in those promises. Trusting in Christ. So bless God that you are secure no matter what happens in this world. You are secure in Christ. Bless God that it's ready kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. 
Our salvation is not ready to be finished. It's not ready to find out if, we, if we're saved or not. There was a guy I knew that struggled with his salvation, and he just, back and forth, and he, he, he just wanted to die. He said, if I, if I could just die, then I'd know one way or the other. I wouldn't be doubting what, what, if I'm saved or not. Then I just know. And if I went to hell, I'd go to hell, but at least I'd know one way or the other. What a desperate situation the man was in. You know why? Because his faith wasn't resting in what Christ had done. He kept thinking about what he was doing instead of what Christ has already accomplished. Our salvation, our inheritance, has been accomplished in Christ. And what God has promised us is ready to be revealed. If you, know, if, if you have a secret... You're going to reveal the secret. You're not going to um, make it up on the fly. I, uh, you know, you've heard little kids tell jokes, and they just try to make them up on the fly, and they they have the first part of the joke, but they don't have the punchline to it, and and then they just keep trying to make it up as they go, and and it doesn't end very well, does it? Um, because they don't have anything to be revealed. They're just making it up as they go. No, if you have something to be revealed, that means it's already there. You're just taking the cover off of it. If you have a birthday present and it's in a box, you open the box, it's been revealed. Well, our salvation has been accomplished. And it's, just, it's ready to be revealed. It's, the end is already secured. It's already accomplished. We're just waiting for the consummation. Christ has already won the victory. He's already secured for us eternal life. We are waiting for our glorified bodies and our inheritance that's already there, that's already preserved, that's already waiting for us, just ready to be revealed. We're just waiting for the Lord to come and give us our inheritance. Since Christ rose from the dead, we will as well and receive that inheritance as sons. And we're just waiting for the consummation that's already been accomplished to be revealed. So these theological truths give us some perspective on our trials in our life. It's not that these trials that we have don't hurt. It's not that they're not real. But it's rather this is not the end. God is not absent in our trials. He's not uncaring in our trials. But God is for us. Remember that. God cares for us. And all of our greatest needs have been taken care of in Christ. So we can have assurance in our salvation. We can have boldness in our faith, boldness in our Christianity, and we can have joy in our sufferings. Because when we put this life in perspective of what we have and what we have been given and what's awaiting for us, we can bless God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which has blessed us beyond measure with his abundant mercy. We pray that God gives us some hope and some joy, some comfort, in this life, and looking to Him um, for, for all these many blessings. Let's stand and be dismissed in a word of prayer. Ask um, Brother R.B. if you would dismiss some prayer for me.